The Fake Show podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stephan, North Fifth Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Grammy-nominated Simon Phillips is regarded as one of the world's most renowned and respected drummers. He became the drummer for the band Toto in 1992 and has worked with the likes of Jeff Beck, David Gilmour, Mike Rutherford, and played for The Who during their American reunion tour in 1989. Now Simon has new music and more to talk about as I've got Simon Phillips on the line right now in Los Angeles. Hello, Jim. Hello, Simon. Thank you for joining me this morning. And and among other things, you have just released a new project with your mate, your keyboardist, uh, Derek Sherinian. This is a live album, yes? It is very live, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you record this? We recorded it at a club in Ventura, California, called The Grape. And being the engineer type that you are, are you very much in on the uh, setup, the miking, and everything else that w- you would uh, during a live gig? Oh, very much so, yes. You are so well-regarded and have played with so many greats. What can you tell me about playing with Jeff Beck and Jan Hammer, and how did that happen? Oh, now we're going back to 1978 when I first met Jeff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was recommended by his keyboard player of a long time uh, called Max Middleton, because um, I used to do a lot of sessions in, in London. Max would be on them. Jeff was looking for a new band and um, went down to Jeff's house and uh, we played. Um, and that was it, really. The next thing I knew was uh, a call from his manager asking me, could you recommend a studio for Jeff and uh, Jan Hammer to record in with you. And I went, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I recommended Ramport, which was Pete Townsend's studio at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I re- recommended an engineer called John Punter, who I'd worked with quite a lot. Uh, he used to be at Air Studios, and he recorded, oh, loads of the Roxy Music. I mean, everybody, really. And that was the start. And suddenly I was in a studio, which I knew very well, with an engineer that I knew very well, with... Jeff Beck and Jan Hammer, who I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty cool, you know. Um, and we had a wonderful time. That was the start of my uh, relationship with Jeff, really, well, and, and Jan. Were you a little bit nervous? You're a young guy and you're going in there with the the great Jeff Beck and, and Jan Hammer. Um, you know, I'd been doing uh, sessions in London since, well, 1973. So yeah. since I was 16 years old. Um, and every session was you know was was quite daunting for a 16 year old to go in there with uh-huh. guys who were at least 10 years older and with a lot of experience reading charts and often i would turn up to a session where it's somebody that i had their records and i was a big fan and but you know you just had to be very um very professional and uh i i kind of i was quite shy so i didn't really go hey wow lovely to meet you you know yeah uh, i would go Hi, my name's Simon. I'm, I'm you know, playing drums today. You know, but it was very nice. <laughs> but it, all it was, it was, uh, yeah, of course, I was nervous. But I very, I got used to it very quickly, just because of the studio environment I'd grown up in. Because of my dad, I used to go to all his his recording sessions and just sat behind the drummer. So uh, the studio was, it's my second home. 
you know, I kind of grew up in a studio, so so that wasn't daunting. And you would become interested in the engineering side of things too. I believe it was uh, meeting Mike Oldfield, and he sort of took you under his wing. Absolutely, Mike uh, opened the door to being a professional engineer. Um, my mom, way back in the '60s, she she was a kind of a, an amateur recordist, archivist, uh, mainly of my dad's material. So I got to play with the tape machines. <laughs> Um, so I understand, I understood tape very well, the smell of it, how it feels, how to edit it, uh, plus simple electronics. I'm talking mechanical electronics. Yeah. Um, you know, basically a cable that's attached to a plug and how that works, you know, um, how to short it out. Um, you know, so I was already interested and I loved records i loved the sound of music you know the the way it was recorded certain records i used to buy purely because of the sound i didn't really like the music that much but yeah i really loved the way it was engineered and but of course in those days you know we didn't have musicians didn't have access to buying studio equipment unless you were you know, somebody like pete townsend um and so it it was mike oldfield that uh, basically fired the engineer he saw that i was way into the, the recording side and knew quite quite a bit about it because of all the experience of uh, recording. I used to watch every engineer. And it, thanks to Mike, I became a professional sound engineer. For people who don't know, you joined Toto after Jeff Picaro's untimely death in 1992. How did that go initially? Because I seem to recall Steve Lokather was kind of your biggest cheerleader uh, in getting you into the band. Um, I believe that's what it was. I think their main issue was it's a band. A lot of people think they were a bunch of session musicians uh, that got together and formed a band. They were a band when they were at high school, before they were session guys. Yeah. And um, so they had that band mentality. And the one thing they did not want was somebody to come in and try to copy Jeff. So I played with Lukather. Uh, David Page had seen me play with The Who. So, uh, and basically at that point, Totally consisted of four people, and that was Jeff, Mike, his brother on bass, yeah. uh, David Page, and Steve Lukather. And in their office, uh, at their management office up in Ventura, they both said, let's see if, if Simon's available. Mike didn't really know me that well as a player, um, but that's how it started. And then I got a call. I was still living in London, well, in England at that time. And that's how it happened. What they didn't know was I was already on my way to uh, Los Angeles to live because I got all my papers and all the stuff I needed, you know, work permits. Yeah. Uh, I would be leaving England anyway. It was such a coincidence that all this this happened. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's how it came about. Uh, and I believe I had read somewhere that the first song you played in the first rehearsal was Hydra, which w would be a, a fairly complicated song. <laughs> <laughs> of course it would be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you chose it, right? Uh, but absolutely, yeah. You, 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 that, that's a very good piece of inf information. Yeah, I, Luke turned around to me and he said, okay, yeah, what do you want to play? I said, well, let's do Hydra, mainly because it was one of my favorites. And they all looked at yeah. each other and went, uh, wow, we haven't played this for ages, but okay, fine, you know, and that's that's what happened. Yeah, a great song, yeah. Uh, by the way, you brought up your dad. He was a, what, a Dixieland? He had a Dixieland band, and they were touring Germany, is that right, in the 20s and 30s? Uh, yes, yeah. My dad formed his first band in 1925, which was called the Melodians, um, and 
in those days when you when you toured, you didn't really do one night as you, you you did. Well, you did in certain places, but you did residences. Yeah. So uh, he would go to uh, Europe and uh, mainly Germany. Funnily enough, <laughs> considering the uh, climate over there, uh-huh. um, uh, he would do a residency for six months in Berlin. And then he'd move to Hamburg, and then he'd go down to you know uh, Stuttgart or something like that, and that's where he learned to uh, speak German. And uh, yeah, I mean he he was there until very late, actually, until 30, 1936, I think. And then he went to New York in '37 and became uh, a, a, an arranger for Paul Whiteman, and had a radio program over there. Uh, but he was uh, fiercely um, patriotic, uh, you know, to Britain. And, of course, had to get back to fight a war. That's what happened. Yeah. yeah, I only wish we had more time because I know that he was an intelligence officer in the RAF, which is which is really interesting considering he had been there years before. Uh, it's an incredible life. I'm hoping that there's a memoir coming out soon, Simon, about your life and your family's life. Tried to, I've been writing a book for actually quite a few years, um, which also includes part of his autobiography, which never got published. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think because being with his background and the, and the, secret, the Official Secrets Act in Britain, he couldn't really say very much about that. Yes. So I don't think they're very impressed with the book because it left out everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Look for Simon Phillips' live album with Derek Sherinian on sale now at Amazon and Spotify. Simon, thank you so much. An honor. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. So happy to hear that Simon has a new wide-ranging memoir in the works about his life as a musician and his father's life, which was very interesting, being a musician first and then a spy in the war. That finishes this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.